Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Trevor Donlan joins Stuart Childs to discuss the preliminary results from the 2021 National Farm Survey. I suppose it's um, something that happens on a yearly basis and we always probably, I suppose, in particular on the dairy side of things, it often makes the front page in terms of the, the headline figures. Um, I've asked Trevor to come on today and Trevor is one of the authors of, of the report in, along with Emma Dillon and John Lynn and Brian Moran um, and also obviously credit to the, the recorders that are involved as well. But I've asked uh, Trevor to just give us a, a little bit of information in relation to last year's survey and what kind of forecast he can kind of give maybe for 2022. But I've also asked Trevor to actually explain a little bit about the National Farm Survey, the reason why it's done. Uh, and some of the data that goes into it and how it's actually recorded, because it's quite often uh, um, un- misunderstood, I'd say, or there isn't a really great level of understanding of how the results are actually achieved. And many people get a bit vexed, I suppose, Trevor, is probably fair to say about the, the, the data being released. But it is actually an EU requirement that we do gather this information. Uh, and it's actually forms an awful lot of um, background to a lot of the policies that are decided at government level. So the work that you do is very, very important uh, in terms of gathering that data. So I'll hand over to you, Trevor, and uh, thanks very much for coming on. And I'll uh, ask people to put in questions there as we go along and I'll put them to you as needs be, maybe, or I might hold them till the end, depending on the uh, the timing of them. Okay, Stuart, uh, thanks very much for that. And uh, thanks for the invitation. First to talk to, to everybody on the webinar uh, this morning. Um, you, you gave a great introduction uh, there, Stuart. Um, just just for the benefit of anyone who who mightn't be aware, the National Farm Survey results for 2021 were released um, early last week, and they got they got a bit of coverage on the on on TV and radio, and and obviously in the farm farm media uh, uh, as well. Stuart asked me to say a little bit about the National Farm Survey itself and, and what exactly it is. And uh, I suppose the best way to summarise it is that it is a survey of around 900 farms uh, in Ireland that is done in a way that that we can be confident from a statistical point of view that the results are representative of about 90,000 farms in Ireland. So we don't we don't cover or claim to cover the bottom 40,000 farms in Ireland in terms of uh, output. Uh, And, you know, those are very, very small farms. They're about 15% of the agricultural area and they only make up about 1% of the output that's produced in agriculture. So what we talk about here represents about uh, 99% basically of that output. So what happens essentially is the CSO gives gives us a list of names of farmers and their addresses at random. And we go out and we talk to the farmers involved to see whether they would be willing to participate in the survey. About half of them agree. Half of them say no, and that's that's fair enough. It isn't for, it isn't for everybody. And uh, what will happen then is that uh, uh, an individual, what we call farm recorder, will be assigned to the to that particular farmer, and we'll go out and meet him for two or three hours, maybe two to three times in the year, to collect basically all the invoices and what have you, make check information and 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 that. Uh, in the same way that an accountant would do, basically to set up a set of accounts, so that's the 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 basis for it uh, essentially. And as Stuart said, 
this is done in every member state of the European Union. It's a requirement uh, as part of EU membership. And um, the, the, the main basis for doing it, I suppose, is because um, a significant chunk of the European Union's budget is spent on, on the agriculture sector. So I'm going to talk, this presentation here has a lot of slides in it, and I won't be talking through all of them. Don't worry about that. You can get this presentation on the Chagas website, and I'll, I'll put a link to it maybe in the chat in, in a minute, Stuart, uh, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm done, and people can actually go and look at the entirety of the thing if they so wish uh, as well. So what I'm going to talk about uh, initially is just some of the key results here, and then I'll talk specifically um, about dairy. So a lot of what I'm going to be talking about here is averages, and we need to keep in mind that some people will be above the average and others will be will be below that average. Um, I figure that's not particularly useful at all, I suppose, is this figure for average farm income of €34,000, because that averages across uh, dairy, dry stock and, uh, and tillage. And if you look at the average income levels that are achieved in each of those systems, you'll see that the income levels in dry stock, cat, uh, cattle odor, which is largely finishers, cattle rearing, and in sheep are well below that average figure down there. And equally, the tillage income and the dairy income are a good deal above it. Um, I suppose the, the main summary point for 2021 is that incomes went up across all of these systems by anything from 6% uh, in the case of finishers to as much as 77% in the case of, of tillage farmers. Tillage farmers benefited from really high prices and good yields uh, last year. And as we'll see in a while here, the dairy income story was quite, was quite positive uh, as well. What you can see here um, in the chart in particular, I suppose, is uh, you know, there is a different upward trend in terms of dairy income since, since quote elimination. Uh, and, and the expansion in milk production that has come with that. So if I go looking specifically at uh, some dairy results here, just, just to give you some headline trends in terms of what has been happening in recent years, because the survey, survey extends all the way back to 1973, so we have a long series of data. Uh, some, just some headline numbers, I suppose. Average cow uh, herd size now is up to about 90 cows. Uh, at this stage, and obviously that that varies, that average varies regionally, and and um, you know we have quite an amount of farms now that have over a hundred cows uh, in the survey. Total livestock units on the average farm about one hundred and thirty-two. Um, average milk yield um, about twelve thousand one hundred liters per hectare. Now, are thinking it in terms of uh, per cow about uh, five seven fifty. Um, but you can see there that, you know, we have an upward trend through the post-quarter period in terms of, of milk yield. Um, not as strong as the trend in the increase in total cow numbers, but still we're seeing a contribution from both yield and increased cow numbers to the total increase uh, in milk production. Um, the average area of, dairy, of a dairy farm in our preliminary data is down slightly on last year. And all I'll say about that is that these are preliminary numbers and we have a few big farms yet that, that have yet to report for our final figures. So that slight decrease you see here probably won't be in our final figures, but you're up around 65 hectares now as your 
your average dairy farm size uh, at this stage. And stocking rates seem to be relatively stable over the last two years in and around the kind of 2.1 uh, livestock units per hectare type of figure uh, on dairy farms. Um, we look at the progression of income in recent years. And again, these are average figures. Just keep that in mind. Uh, we see um, a sizable jump in 21, uh, going from 79,000 up to 97,000 as the average. Uh, I suppose people will only be too well aware of the factors behind that. We had a large increase in milk price in 2021 of the order of about 14 or, or 15%. Um, at the national level, milk production pushed on as well by about another 5 or 6%. And while we had an increase in costs in 2021, it wasn't that substantial because the, the kind of inflationary pressures on the input side were only really starting to to kick off last year and um, I suppose they were affecting, starting to affect uh, fuel prices and fertilizers, fertilizer prices in the second half of the year and, and, and feed as well as the, as the year progressed. But really those cost pressures are being felt uh, more upfront, I suppose, in, in, in 2022. So average income in 2021 was uh, €97,000, which I think is up about 23% on the 2020 level. Uh, so that's the highest figure we've reported. Now, these are nominal figures, so they, they don't take into account inflation. And inflation has been very low up until very recently. So um, I think in terms of future figures, we will have to factor in, in inflation and, and uh, in the way that we report, begin to report um, these numbers. Um, what else do I want to say to you? Uh, if you look at... Uh, data on um, concentrate feed use. We can see um, these kind of charts here are, are, are quite complicated to interpret, but what we have here is we have the population divided up uh, according to stocking rate. So you have farms with zero to 1.5 livestock units, 1.5 to two and over two livestock units uh, per hectare. And we don't see the line here in the middle here is the median, which is quite close enough to the average level of feed use per farm. So a little over uh, a ton uh, per, um, per farm, or sorry, per cow is the, the median feed use. The average figure at this stage is probably about uh, 12 to 1300 kg per cow. So that has been following an upward trend really since quote elimination, I think we've added about 200 kg to the average feed of a dairy cow uh, in, in, in recent years. Um, what this chart shows you here is that there's a range of feed use. So inside these boxes here, basically you have 50% of the farms. So you, we can see here like that 50% of, uh, we'll just we'll take the over two livestock units example for, for the purposes of this example here. So we can see here that in 2020, for example, the 50% uh, of dairy farms had feed use per cow in, in and around 800 to about 1400 kg. And we see that that figure was slightly narrower, we'll say in 2021. So it was probably more like between 900 and 1400 for most of them. Um, 
So, yeah, uh, what else do I want to say to you about this? Like what, Trevor, is the, the, the thing to point out there then as well is that you have that range the outside of the box, so the other 50% are, are going from anywhere from 200 kilos up to 2 tonnes. Oh, they are. As well. They are. For, I mean, for people to interpret the box, that's like... That's it, yeah. They, 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 these lines here, as they extend out here, you know, will show you other, other farms that have reported in the system and, and some of the ones out at the very extremes could have had something very peculiar happening to them. So I wouldn't take too much notice of the very, the very end points. Uh, yeah. but, but it is worth noting, as you say, Stuart, like that, you know, um, as we come down here, for example, you, you have examples of farms with five, 600 kg per cow and equally up at the other extreme, you know, particularly farms in the West now might have, you know, uh, figures hitting higher again. Uh, than the than the averages I was I was talking about there. That's interesting to look at from my perspective. Is that the, there isn't a huge difference depending on the stocking rate? <laughs> no, there isn't. There isn't. Uh, and and what you look what what you see as well, even when you look at that regionally, is you don't see a huge variation regionally either in the amount of feed use per cow. But where you do see a difference, Stuart, is in the amount of milk that's produced. So, okay. you know, it's the it's that extra grass. That that they that that farmers get into the cows in, we'll say the southern and eastern regions compared to the the northern and western part of the country that that tends to make to make the bit of a difference. You know, I mean, I I think some people imagine all right that, well, feed use is low in the south and it's high high generally in the north as you go further north. But it it, it it's more to do ultimately really with the amount of grass, um, that that that's getting into the cow, um, that that is pushing pushing those um, higher yield figures, we'll say, that you'd get typically in um, the southern and, and, and eastern regions. Um, now, what else do I want to say here? Uh, just just uh, some data in terms of uh, production costs. So you can see we, we did have a sizable enough increase in production costs in uh, 2021. Um, you know, the... They, at the same time, it will be, it'll pale into comparison with the type of increases that we'll see in 2022. I don't know whether at this point, Stuart, you want me to start talking a little bit about 22? Yeah, I suppose in the cost point of view, it's an yeah. iron to start um, digging into yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we can see here, for example, just even for 21, that, that, that there's that bit of an increase in, in, in production costs. So, you know, we had about a 10 grand increase in production costs, total production costs. Um, uh, ultimately, or sorry, or sorry, fifteen grand increase in production costs ultimately in um, twenty twenty one. Here you can see a kind of a decomposition of those costs, and you know this isn't the easiest chart for me because I'm colorblind. So, um, you know, <laughs> so if you, if you if you think it's hard to interpret yourself, then spare it at all to me. But you you can kind of follow here. Uh, you know, for your average farm, you know, the, the typical structure of the costs that you'll see on these farms. And and people tend to pick out specific numbers and say, oh, that doesn't really correspond to my situation. But that, that just reflects the fact that these are average figures. You know, one that comes up quite frequently is people will say, Jesus, your, your figure for hired labor there is very small. But what you have to keep in mind in, in these average figures is that they're averages of farms that would have hired labor and those that would have no hired labor at all so that tends to to dilute um we'll say 
the the, contri- the contribution of hired labour to, to, to costs when you, when you average out across farms. One of the things we could do potentially is to produce a set of results for farms that do have hired labour and, and, and those that, that actually uh, don't, and that might that might give a better reflection. I think that figure actually may have even been quoted in the um, in the Farmer's Journal article that was written on this uh, um, last week. Um, but Very crudely, though, Trevor, like you yeah. can play with those averages, like for the larger farms, they're potentially they have somewhere in the region of 50 to 52,000, because obviously at the other end of the scale, you have someone that has a zero labour cost there, so... Yes, yeah, that's it. That, that that's it, Stuart. I mean, I, you know, we would regularly get people, you know, saying, well, "I've I've two lads working for me." You know, you know, um, my my hard labour costs are are a, bit, are a very significant chunk of my costs, and you just kind of have to say that in the end, these are average. These are average figures, and they're a simplification for the purposes of of, of presenting. Um, the, the results so you know we would never be encouraging anybody to be, be hawking around these average numbers as, as being representative of all dairy farms you know yeah um so yeah just thinking about 2022 so and i don't have slides about uh, 2022 because it's an evolving situation um we we did a review of it there in april and we'll do another review of it uh, next month, because uh, as I say, it's a, it, it, it's a dynamic situation. We we produced a, an outlook for 2022 back in back last December, and obviously that had to go into the bin as, as the war started um, in Ukraine. So, based on our, our revised assessment, obviously we have, I suppose, two key things in respect of the dairy sector. Number one is that. Um, milk prices, which are already very high, or sorry, dairy commodity prices, we'll say anyway, which were already very high at the back end of last year. Uh, six months ago, the expectation is that they'd gradually fall back over the course of 2022 and that uh, milk price would be high in the early part of 22, and then it would ease back as the, as the year progressed. Um, of course, circumstances have changed since then. Uh, costs of production have increased. Uh, very substantially um, and the the outlook for dairy commodity prices became a, a lot more positive for for 2022 and even expectations out into the the early part of next year seem to be very positive as well and essentially the reasoning for that is that the growth in milk production globally in 2022 is expected to be you know very very small um, so that means People will be out there uh, chasing dairy products, um, and that's good for the price of dairy products as a result. So, I mean, cost of production, um, our assessment in April suggested that cost of production, that's total cost of production now, including overhead costs for dairy farms in in Ireland, on average could be up about 30% in um, 2022, and that would be taking your cost per litre, your average cost per litre, up to around uh, 34, 34 cent or thereabouts. So when you factor in where milk prices are now, there's still a very healthy margin uh, in there. So our assessment in April was that dairy incomes for 22 would pretty much hold uh, with the potential for them to actually even increase in 22 compared to 21. And, and then the one issue we did flag all right was uh, scenarios where 
people had significant volumes of milk tied up in uh, fixed milk price contracts that were set at prices that were a good bit lower than than on what are um, what's available um, uh, directly from the market at present. So I, I think overall, in spite of all the um, increase in production costs that has uh, taken place, the you know that that crazy price for fertilizer, the fact that feed prices are are up a chunk, and um, you know that cost of fuel, cost of contracting, all of these things are up as well. That the 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 buoyancy in the dairy market at the moment is so good that. Um, my assessment at this point anyway is that you know there isn't there isn't a reason to expect incomes to to fall in 2022 and they they may well even um be higher in 22 um than they were in uh in 21 um but as i say we'll come back next month and do another review of that and we will we'll publish it um you know one of the things we'll probably see in that is you know feed prices have moved on another bit uh, at the same time, you know, the dairy situation uh, remains very, very healthy. And I don't think there's any reason to expect at this point that we'll see any any significant change in milk prices um, over the next six to nine months. Um, so I might stop at that point, Stuart, um, and open it up for a few questions, if there are questions. Yeah, so um, I suppose you said an interesting thing there yesterday as well, Trevor. I suppose a 20% increase in, in milk price covers a 30% increase in costs. Can you explain how that works? Yeah, well, you need to keep in mind that your cost of production um, are lower than your, uh, your total cost of production are lower than your your output price, basically. You know, if you want to look at this on a cent, on a cent per litre basis, for example, uh, you know the, the the difference obviously is the, is your net margin, and you know so you're you're applying basically a smaller percentage increase to a bigger number to in the case of output prices okay. to maintain your margin. So in other words, to maintain whatever say twelve cent margin or something of that order, uh, doesn't require that you have the same percentage increase in your milk price as you would in your production costs. Now, if you're a beef producer, you need a very different game because you you probably have zero net margin. So you you need you need your output price to go up by as much as your production costs to maintain your 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 margin in that situation. You know, but it's just a, a kind of um, that is just a kind of a statistical thing or mathematical kind of thing that you mightn't it might that mightn't occur to you because you're you know your output price or your milk price is a bigger number than your production costs. So you know the the percentage increase in one doesn't have to be the same as the other to maintain your your margin in in some per liter terms. And in terms of um, the other figures that I often look at is the debt associated with dairy farms. So obviously higher higher return in um, enterprise, but obviously higher debts associated with it as well. Um, have you seen is that beginning to taper taper off now since we we'll said a surge in relation to the development post quota? It's probably a lot of it, the work is done or, well, the vast majority of it is done. Uh, is the debt level beginning to drop at, at the, on the dairy farms now? It, you know what? These are new numbers, Stuart. They're only there a week or so, so I haven't. I can't say I've looked yeah. I've looked into them in detail to be able to, um, to answer that question for you. And that's just to prove that you didn't give me all the questions <laughs> in advance. But I'll, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll look into it and I'll, I'll reply to you by email on it. And um, 
uh, uh, you can you can you can circulate that or, or or mention it in your next in your next webinar maybe. Yeah, and and the other one I suppose that we were discussing yesterday then as well is maybe just uh, how the BPS uh, is is evolving next year into breaking up into three different schemes. We we'll say and how yeah. does that the the figure that I suppose. While people often say that it's not a significant proportion, it's still averaging out there at eighteen percent of the dairy income uh, from the figures that I saw anyway, and like that's still a fifth of a person's income. So the the subsidies as such still have a role to play for dairy farmers too, don't they? Well, they do, and and you know we would always be saying as well like that that are an important income stabilizer, particularly in years say now where uh, milk price and costs would move against you. And your and your net margin would would contract. You know you have that buffer at least of your single farm payment, which is you know a number that doesn't particularly change year over year. You know okay, accepting some of the changes that were made in recent years, which were for most farmers anyway, not not that significant. But that that's a kind of um, that's a guaranteed chunk of income. We'll say that's coming in uh, to to begin with. Yeah, but it's it's you know it's. It's up there at, uh, what is it, about €20,000, that kind of territory, when you take into account all of the supports that are available to your average uh, uh, dairy farm. The the new cap, I suppose, the, the, the thing that will be of interest, particularly from dairy farmers, is the introduction of these so-called uh, eco-schemes, which are, you know, a range of different actions that you need to kind of cherry pick from and and perform if you want to receive um, payment under them. So what was what we called the the basic payment, I suppose, or or its equivalent is now being called uh, the BIS BISS, and uh, that's now a smaller chunk of the of the total support than it used to be. So if you want to get access to these eco scheme payments, you have to do that bit more. From an environmental point of view, and I, I suppose what's not clear at the moment is whether dairy farmers will sign up en masse. Whether all fifteen thousand odd dairy farmers will say that's grand. I'll 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 pick a few uh, measures there, and I'll I'll go off and do that, and I'll collect the the eco scheme uh, component of the support as well. Um, some farmers might be looking at it and saying, "Is this is this worth all the hassle?" Um, you know. The results we have for 2021 here show that there's about 1,100 euro per hectare of income on the average um, dairy farm. So some people might be looking at the eco scheme money and saying, is, is it more hassle than it's worth to, to apply for it? The government perspective on it is very much that we want every farmer in, if at all possible. And that's the EU perspective as well. Uh, so much so that if in year one, uh, not every farmer is signed up to the eco schemes. There may be tweaking of the eco schemes to some extent to try to ensure that in subsequent years everybody does go in. Because uh, one of the consequences ultimately of farmers not signing up for the eco scheme is that eventually the money that was allocated to those farmers, which they won't get, actually will just go back to Brussels. And um, Brussels would much prefer that the money was spent and that the actions w- would be taken by farmers. So they're they're trying to avoid an outcome, I suppose, where a significant number of farmers opt out of the eco scheme 
dimension of, of this new cap. They want all farmers in, if at all possible, uh, and the money spent, basically. So, um, but it will be interesting, you know, there's a few people kind of humming and hawing about whether dairy farmers, whether this, this thing is significantly attractive for dairy farmers, given the very high level of profitability that's there at the moment. Uh, the economist Alan Matthews, I think, wrote an article along those lines of maybe a month or six weeks ago, and either in the I think that was in the Farming Independent, if I remember well. Um, so he was he was wondering the same the same thing, you know, basically, is is dairy so profitable now that uh, the the that the eco scheme um, money might be worth chasing, as far as some farm dairy farmers might be concerned. I suppose again, like everything, and we have to think of the bigger picture too, though, don't we? Um, because I suppose the challenge with the eco schemes, Trevor, that I'd see it is that an awful lot of the farms are actually already going to be doing some of these things as part of derogation, so they won't actually be options for them. Yeah, and the, yeah. The, the actual table of of choices becomes very small then, and it actually yeah. you're moving into kind of deciding to put a bit of land back into forestry or do this or do that, which yeah. is kind of nearly contrary to what people have been doing all with the last mm. number of years is trying to get all land available for grazing, really. Like, yeah, like I think we need to think about it as well from a political point of view. Like, it would be bad PR. No, I'd, I would say. In, in in the next few years, if we we saw you know headlines saying that a significant percentage of dairy farmers had chosen not to not to to avail of the eco scheme, because that would be, I suppose, be sending out a a message about dairy that that, that really we wouldn't want sent out there to the wider world, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's I think that will be a consideration as well. But as I say, the scope, the scope, and you know, a lot, some of the stuff now that's happening with this new cap or is kind of experimental um, and there's scope in there to kind of tweak things around in terms of how those schemes might operate um, with a view to try and pull in, pull in as many farmers as possible um, get them to perform uh, environmental actions and and in return uh, ensure that the money that's been put, put aside for those actions actually does does get spent in, in, in each of the member states. Like, I mean, the, the as I was saying there a while ago, like the commission, a good result for the commission would be that all the money was spent on as many farmers as possible. And this idea that money would just come back to them and be sitting there and actions not being taken on some farms isn't one that they particularly want to see as an outcome. Okay. And I have two final questions for you then. Um, okay. The, the Q&A system must be broken because Patrick last week didn't get any questions either. And right. not, or else okay. I'm shocked. Um, so the, the first one is probably just, we've we spoke an awful lot about volatility in the pre-quarter yeah. removal period. And while there's been a small little bit of it there, like you can see from the figures that you're showing there that it's a fairly buoyant industry now. Um is there anything behind that or is it just luck that we're on an upward trajectory? Is there a downturn going to come at some point um, like this? We still talk about volatility, but like one of the things I would have seen is that I think since quarter removal, people were free to, to drive on at every stage of the year. And that has been significantly important to people because I just don't see the, 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 the crisis issues with finances that we used to see because you could kind of farm your way out of trouble if you were in a bit of trouble. But it's yeah, just interesting yeah. that, you know, it's it's upwards. I know now we've went, we got a dip there from 17 back into 18, mm-hmm. but that was probably driven by a number of factors, including the drought, obviously. But we're on we're upwards, upwards, upwards there. And 
to echo what you said as well, just saw something there this morning uh, in terms of the global milk supply is well back and prices will stay high for the, like as you said, six to nine months. And generally people don't want to commit to more than three months most of the time when we yeah. talk about prices like so. Is, is the volatility thing kind of done or what's your thinking on it? Well, I think you need to, with all these things, you need to think about them from, from the two sides. You need to think from, they think about them from the supply side or, or the production side, in other words, and you need to think about it from 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 the the demand side or, or the consumption side. And I suppose it, and it's easier to think about the production side from a farmer's perspective, I, I, I suppose. Um, and if you look at what has happened, we'll say, in the last five or six years in the three big exporting regions in terms of dairy, three big exporting regions are New Zealand, ourselves in the European Union, and uh, and the US and like if you look at the numbers for New Zealand you'll see that they've they've flatlined they've topped out no um, they've had very little change in their milk production in recent years and you know they used the increase in milk production each year in New Zealand used to be a significant contributor to the the growth in global milk production every year so they've they've kind of it looks like plateaued. Uh, they've got a lot of environmental pressures and and, and politics around that uh, more than than here in Ireland. Um, it seems like they're more keen now to try and get up the value chain in terms of not so much fixating on producing more milk, but but basically trying to trying to produce higher value dairy products and add to the add add to the milk price as opposed to just doing doing more volume. Here in the EU, uh, the situation is, I suppose, a mixed one because you have the likes of ourselves who've expanded very strongly. You've had a few other member states who've expanded as well. Some some have um, stayed relatively flat since quotas were removed. And then you have examples like um, the Netherlands where where things are being pushed backwards due to, again, environmental environmental pressures. So the, the growth in... Milk production here in the EU is is, is lower, I suppose, uh, of late than than would have been the case previously. And then in the US, um, you know, their growth was was quite strong, but it's it's difficult to understate how how messed up the US is now as well in terms of its labour market. It seems after, I think it seems to be after the whole the whole COVID situation. Um, but like you know, just just as an example, I I, I was out in. Um, Missouri a few weeks ago, like, and and the, the hotel I was staying in, they, you had to you had to actually ask uh, specifically to have your room cleaned because they were trying to cut back on 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 labor there. Um, so um, you know there, there's a significant labor shortage right through the U.S. economy now, uh, a lot of logistical problems. So even though we have very high milk prices, it seems like it's difficult to get more milk production in place um, because of things like labor shortages and other kind of logistical problems involved in transporting milk, getting it processed and, and what have you. So we're in a kind of strange situation at the moment, Stuart, where milk prices are very, very high. Uh, profitability in, in a lot of places is quite good, but it doesn't seem like we're going to get a, a strong increase in milk production in the short term anyway at least. So that's kind of created the recipe for the very high prices we have on the production side. And then if you look at the demand side, everyone will still say to you how important China is and 
one thing I would say about all these people analyzing the dairy market is they they probably know a lot less about the demand side than they do about the production side. And, you know, China is a, a hugely important player in terms of absorbing particularly a lot of a lot of milk powders um, and people have a hard time in trying to interpret what happens next in terms of the level of demand for dairy products uh, from China. But like, you know, if you were looking for potential negatives down the line, you know, if, if the demand growth eased off for dairy products eased off in China, then that would ease the pressure globally to get more milk produced. And, and you'd see milk prices starting to drop back then in, in, in that circumstance. But the situation at the moment is that there's very strong demand out there for more milk. And it isn't obvious where more milk is going to come from at the at the global level right now because the three the three big players uh in terms of milk production globally or milk exports I should say really uh New Zealand, the EU and US are struggling kind of to, to boost milk production. Yeah, okay. And uh, the Q and A's after coming to life there all of a sudden. Yeah. Anyway, so there's and this question is actually kind of tied into the last question I was going to ask you anyway. So it it's a, a small. It's always aggravate. It aggravates people. Like I know I get the. I always get text messages from some of my friends that are farming there, yeah. and they see the front page of the journal after the the survey's launched. Uh, the results of the survey are, are produced, you know. And um, so the, the question in from John Coston is, if a proper labour cost was applied to the income fi- outcomes, how good would the figures be in reality? So I suppose it's just that that headline 97,000 uh, people see that maybe if they're wandering around the shop and they're looking mm-hmm. at looking at John as they're at mass on a Sunday then saying, geez, he made 97,000 last year and he, and he doing well, basically, kind of situation. So... But we'll say when you actually cast in the labour, we'll say, seeing as John asked the question, if you put mm-hmm. a, a value on John's own labour there, what, mm-hmm. what's the true reality of the, the survey like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this does come up a lot. Uh, you know, I could I didn't even look at the what the question was. And once you started to, to describe what it was, I could guess. Um, listen, the, all I can say about it is, you know, we're reporting, we have to report these figures to um, to the EU, to the European Commission. And the way we do these calculations is actually set out for us. Like the, you know, we are required to uh, include higher labour, uh, but we're required to exclude um, own labour, uh, as we call it, from the production costs. Uh, so that basically the income figure that's calculated at the end of the day is supposed to cover the own labour uh, contribution and um, the. The, the return basically to any money that's that's invested in in the farm that's the that's the the thinking on it like and it's the same for for all the other systems um now if you were to go in obviously and uh cost the labor i think we've 18 we have 1.4 labor units i think on the average dairy mm-hmm. farm a labor unit is about 1800 hours uh of work from from, from memory um, so yeah, that would that would substantially uh, reduce the, the the income level that would be shown up in these systems. But you need to keep in mind as well if you if you were to do that for all the other enterprises, they, you know, where would where would they end up? You know, the 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 other systems have production costs uh, associated with the own labor as well, and so you'd be pushing some of those guys back into negative numbers almost. Uh, 
uh, at that at that stage if you if you were to uh, do that. And you know, I suppose in the broader question, I'm not so I'm not sure so sure how sympathetic Joe Public would be to the the kind of the nuance of uh, the the income definition in, inclusive, we'll say, or exclusive of the old neighbour, because their their argumentation would be well, the money's still going to the same household in the end, whether you whether you um, define it uh, net or inclusive of the of the the old neighbor cost you but like i mean there's no denying you know even if you were to go back and cost it cost it that way there is no denying like that there has been a very substantial increase in dairy farm income in recent years um you know and it's it it's a very positive story i think to, to be telling some farmers are not so happy about it because uh you know i suppose some people will be getting beginning to get concerned about whether you know, the future of the single farm payment for dairy farmers and, th- and what have you would then be starting to be increasingly questioned, you know, looking at that 97,000 figure there, you might be saying, why, why are we paying, why are we paying somebody 20,000 euro who is already earning 77,000 euro from the marketplace? Um, you know, so th- that argument could be put forward by, by some people. Now, the reality is that for all the change that has happened in the common agricultural policy, over the last 15, 20 years, there hasn't been a very substantial change in the single farm payment available to um, dairy farmers in general. You know, so it, that might be that that might be a false worry uh, to some extent if it's if it's a worry that's there on the part of um, on the part of some farmers. But it's it's a definitional approach. Uh, we don't decide uh, how to. How to do these calculations? We're following, we're following the same system that every member state has to follow in how we report um, these income figures. And we have in the past, and we do actually. When we, you know, later in the summer, there now we'll do um, a fact sheet, um, which will show the kind of cost per liter numbers when we get to our finalised figures for for the numbers we're looking at here today. In the next few months, we'll do a what's called a, an enterprise fact sheet, which basically breaks things down on a cent per litre basis and we do actually mention in that uh, document as far as i remember that um you know the cost doesn't include the, the own labor and if you were to put a cost on the own labor you know how significant it would be again it depends on what what, what price are you going to pay yourself an hour you know for, for yeah, that work you know that, you probably, that's the, the challenge with that all the time is like people will have a different valuation on their time and actually yeah. saw something there from the European dairy farmers, even that Irish farmers are actually inclined to pay less uh, on an hourly basis than their European counterparts, actually. Um, but it, it, I suppose you do pick up a share of it too, though, Trevor, in the household survey stuff that you are doing, don't you, in terms of how much it's costing to run a house and so forth as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't publish generally public yeah. figures, but like we do pick up we do pick up uh, information on uh, other sources of household income. Yeah. They like you know the, uh, but you know we 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 don't generally publish that. So like the, the the data we go public with is is exclusively the data we learn the data coming into the house or the income coming into the household relates to the agricultural activity. You yeah, know? okay. Um, we'll say the sustainability piece then. Like, and I think Emma is going to cover that with Emma Louise you now one of these days on the yeah. on, on on the podcast as well. But that does um. 
that kind of picks up the whether farms are viable or not. So it's not like we're just throwing out headline figures. There are a proportion of farms in that survey that are maybe a little bit vulnerable potentially. Yeah, and, and that's important. You know, it's an important thing to say because uh, as I one of the first remarks I made was that these are average figures I'll be talking about now. And um, you know, if you go through the three hundred farms that we have in the National Farm Survey, and uh, we don't we don't ever throw up uh, figures for an individual farm in terms of public discussion. But if you were to go through uh, those numbers, you will see like that there are some dairy farms, even now, uh, in spite of quota removal and um, high milk prices, that are, are, are recording income levels that would be much closer to what you might be achieving on, um, you know, uh, the, the, I suppose the better performing dry stock systems. You know, you know they're not... They're, they're not very low incomes, but they're a hell of a lot lower than what this 97,000 figure would suggest on, on some on some dairy farms. Okay, so um, look, I think I'll leave you go because I know I have a meeting to get to. So thanks for coming on. Um, you might send me on the link for that and I might tweet it out there later because there's some great information there. And that Power BI um, the methodology that you use is actually very interesting for it to actually move across figures like you were there doing there in the presentation and it would be very yeah. interesting for people if they want to take a look at it so uh, yeah. thanks for coming on Trevor and thanks to you and and your team for putting the data together I find it very interesting anyway and I hope people got something from it and uh, we'll talk to you again maybe at a later stage in the year again after you've the, the new forecast for 2023 mm-hmm. done maybe uh, yeah yeah they, uh, they, we've, we've yeah, we've uh, we've a bit of a job ahead ahead of us, I think, uh, Stuart, because uh, there's so much so much going on at the moment. Uh, trying to, to capture it all is 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 going to be a challenge. But uh, um, thanks again for the invite, and I hope people find it useful. Okay, thanks very much. So next week I'll be talking to James Dunn, who's just going to be giving us a rundown on some of the um, research that's been done in Ballyhays and advanced the Ballyhays Open Day. So I look forward to talking to you next week. Uh, in the meantime stay safe and uh, hopefully the rain comes because we're looking for it in the south and I'm not so sure you're looking for it in the west Trevor but thanks very much for coming on we'll talk to you next week that's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series and don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday so do listen in then I'm Emma Louise Coffey and thanks for listening